hey, everybody, you got to check out this new show on Stitcher Premium called Jessamine Explains It All. It's an advice and lifestyle show about the realities of living the, quote, yoga lifestyle in the 21st century. Wow, so future forward. Each episode features interviews with her friends about facets of our intersectional identities in the 21st century. It's like the yoga of real life, from politics to sexual and gender identity, and so much more. Also, she answers questions about the yoga of your life. You can call in at 984-329-2185 or email the show at info at jessamineexplainsitall.com. It's like Dr. Ruth meets the Read podcast. Go to stitcherpremium.com slash jessamine and use promo code cracked for a one-month free trial of Stitcher Premium to hear this show and so much more. Support for today's show comes from our friends at Squarespace who know you, the Cracked Podcast listener, are a genius. All of our listeners are pretty cool people. Anytime I've met them, talked to them, been interacted with by them online, and they probably have stuff going on. Do you have big plans for the new year? Are you about to launch a business or show off what you can do? Use a website for it. Give it its own space online. You can customize it and build it with Squarespace, and there is nothing to install, patch, or upgrade ever, which is good because you're busy. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code CRACKED to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Hey there, folks. Welcome to another episode of the Cracked Podcast. My name is Alex Schmidt, and I'm the head of podcasting here at Cracked. I'm also known as Schmitty the Clam, and I am also, also going to give you a hot tip on the most fun new toy in the world. Got a toy tip for you. Don't worry, this is not an ad. This is something that your smartphone already does. I'm just having you turn it on. And yes, this is exclusive to smartphone users. I think that's most of you. In a survey last year, the Pew Research Center found that 77% of Americans had smartphones. I'd assume that percentage is higher for podcast listeners. So almost all of you can play with this toy. And the toy is turn on your phone's option for predictive text. It's probably in the keyboard options or somewhere like that. Then go to your text messages with someone you text message pretty frequently and start selecting the first word that predictive text suggests over and over again. Just keep selecting it and see what kind of message you get. It's usually like you, but also very alien, right? It's you, but very, very processed and maybe repetitive. Mine usually are, and we'll, we'll talk about that in the show. Also, if you're high school aged, you've probably already done this game. I found out about this through younger people. And if you're older, congratulations, you just found a silly fun thing to do. So it's going to be great. It's also one of the things this week's episode is all about, that predictive text. The other thing this week's episode is about is automation, because here's another Pew Research poll. In 2016, they polled Americans about automation, and most of their respondents said that robots will drastically change the job market within the next 50 years. Robots will take over. Also, kind of hilariously to me, 80% of respondents said that those changes won't affect them personally, right? The robots will happen to other people because we're Americans and we're optimists and that's what we do. USA. Either way, we think the robots are coming for our livelihoods. People have suggested solutions like universal basic income or stronger labor unions or the exact plot of the Terminator movies. We will fight back. But no matter what, automation, I think, is usually seen as an enemy to confront and maybe it is, but my guests today see it as, among many things, an artistic opportunity. I am thrilled to be joined by the team from Botnik, that is B-O-T-N-I-K. Also, their team is diverse as heck. My three guests are Jamie Brew, who is a comedy writer from Click Hole and The Onion, 
Al O'Brien, who is a computational scientist at the University of Washington, and Mike Fredrickson, an animator and designer who also created the Kanye Zone web game. It's my favorite game. All three seemingly disparate people put their human skills to use building Botnik using predictive text to make comedy. Their jokes live online at botnik.org. It's also been celebrated everywhere from The Guardian to Reddit to your social media feed, if it's anything like mine. And like I said, Botnik's team uses predictive text technology to build computer-generated, but also human-curated, ridiculous versions of our own written culture. They do everything from Arrested Development TV scripts to Holiday Messages Home to funny hashtags. And we're going to dig into how they combine automation with humanity to make art. And we're going to perform my favorite thing they've made, which is an entire new chapter of Harry Potter. There's more Harry Potter, and it's on the show today. So please sit back or sit with your arm around your robot companion that you have constructed. No judgments. Anyway, enjoy this episode of The Crack Podcast with Jamie Brew, Elle O'Brien, and Mike Fredrickson from Botnik.org. I will be back after we wrap up. Talk to you then. We are joined by the team from Botnik. This is so exciting. I'm going to introduce you guys so they can uh, hear your voice. First off, we've got Jamie Brew. Say hello, Jamie. Hey, this is what Jamie sounds like. Oh, established. Good. Uh, and then we've also got Mike Fredrickson. Hello, Mike. Hi, I sound nothing like Jamie. Luckily. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, yuck. Uh, <laughs> and we're also joined on the phone by L. O'Brien. Hello, L. Hi, representing the high frequencies here. In the intro, I talked a bit about what Botnik is. I felt, and I'm glad you guys were on board, I felt the best way to show people what Botnik is, is to do a dramatic reading. I think this is the first dramatic reading we've had on this podcast ever, which is very exciting. And there's a reading of your guys' work with your Harry Potter keyboard, creating a whole new chapter of the Harry Potter series. Is that right? That's a fair quick summation. Is that right? I think that's fair. Yeah. I would you say nailed so. it. All right. It's mm-hmm. like we, uh, yeah, we poured every every Harry Potter into a big magical computer and um, <laughs> by assisting it, this came <clears throat> out. <laughs> yeah. And you muggles get to hear it at home. All right. Um, we uh, I, we kind of divvied up the parts. Let's get into the dramatic reading and uh, Jamie, take it away. I will be playing the part of narrator. Yes. Harry Potter and the Portrait of What Looked Like a Large Pile of Ash. Chapter 13. The Handsome Handsome. One. The (laughs) castle grounds snarled with a wave of magically magnified wind. The sky outside was a great black ceiling, which was full of blood. The only sounds drifting from Hagrid's hut were the disdainful shrieks of his own furniture. Magic. It was something that Harry Potter thought was very good. (laughs) Leathery sheets of rain lashed at Harry's ghost as he walked across the grounds toward the castle. Ron was standing there and doing a kind of frenzied tap dance. He saw Harry and immediately began to eat Hermione's family. Ron's Ron shirt was just as bad as Ron himself. If you two can't clump happily, I'm going to get aggressive, confessed the reasonable Hermione. What about Ron magic? offered Ron. To Harry, Ron was a loud, slow, and soft bird. Harry did not like to think about birds. Death Eaters are on top of the castle, Ron bleated, quivering. (laughs) Ron was going to be spiders. He just was. He wasn't proud of that, but it was going to be hard not to have spiders all over his body after all is said and done. Look, said Hermione. Look, (laughs) said Hermione. (laughs) 
obviously there are loads of Death Eaters in the castle. Let's listen in on their meetings. The three complete friends zapped onto the landing outside the door to the castle roof. They almost legged it, but witches are not climbing. Ron looked at the doorknob and then looked at Hermione with searing pain. I think it's closed, he noticed. Locked, said Mr. Staircase, the shabby-robed ghost. They looked at the door, (laughs) screaming about how closed it was and asking it to be replaced with a small orb. The password was... Beef women, Hermione cried. Harry, Ron, and Hermione quietly stood behind a circle of Death Eaters who looked bad. I think it's okay if you like me, said one Death Eater. Thank you very much, replied the other. The first Death Eater confidently leaned forward to plant a kiss on his cheek. Oh, well done, said the second as his friend stepped back again. All the other Death Eaters clapped politely. They all took a few minutes to go over the plan to get rid of Harry's magic. Harry could tell that Voldemort was standing right behind him. He felt a great overreaction. Harry tore his eyes from his head and threw them into the forest. Voldemort raised his eyebrows at Harry, who could not see anything at the moment. Voldemort, you're a very bad and mean wizard, Harry savagely said. Hermione (laughs) nodded encouragingly. The tall Death Eater was wearing a shirt that said, Hermione has forgotten how to dance, so Hermione dipped his face in mud. Ron threw a wand at Voldemort, and everyone applauded. Ron smiled. Ron reached for his wand slowly. Ron's the handsome one, muttered Harry as he reluctantly reached for his. They cast a spell or two, and jets of green light shot out of the Death Eaters' heads. Ron flinched. Not so handsome now, thought Harry as he dipped Hermione in hot sauce. The Death Eaters were dead now, and Harry was hungrier than he had ever been. The Great Hall was filled with incredible moaning chandeliers and a large librarian who had decorated the sinks with books about masonry. Mountains of mice exploded. (laughs) Several long pumpkins fell out of McGonagall. Dumbledore's hair scooted next to Hermione as Dumbledore arrived at school. The pig of Hufflepuff pulsed like a large bullfrog. Dumbledore smiled at it and placed his hand on its head. You are Hagrid now. We're We're the the only only people who matter. matter. He's He's never never going going to get get rid rid of of us. Harry, Hermione, and Ron said in chorus. (laughs) The floor of the castle seemed like a large pile of magic. The Dursleys had never been to the castle, and they were not about to come there in Harry Potter and the portrait of what looked like a large pile of ash. Harry looked around and then fell down the spiral staircase for the rest of the summer. I'm Harry Potter! Harry began yelling. The dark arts better be worried! Oh, boy! (laughs) The end. The end of chapter. That is the end. That was Harry Potter and the portrait of what looked like a large pile of ash with the Botnik players. Now, just to point out, it is not a portrait of a pile of ash. It's a a portrait that that just appears to maybe be one. There's a lot of ambiguity there. (laughs) It's just some sort of amorphous lump. (laughs) If it's claiming anything, it's claiming that this is not a pile of ash. Yeah. I mean, if it's implying anything, it's saying this is something that looks like it. I like that it implies that the entire narrative of the book revolves around the uncertainty of whether or not that's what the portrait is about, which (laughs) seems like a very small subject to explore over the course of a whole novel. (laughs) Yeah, for nine hours they stand in a museum kind of debating it. Mm, Just like trying. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's a bottle episode of Harry Potter. 
this Potter excerpt was how I first found out about Botnik because I saw it everywhere online and everyone was very excited as they should be. And it, uh, I feel like it's a great example of what you guys do because as I've looked at it more and more, even that title is an example. Like It seems like the way you use predictive text, you find things that are somehow kind of in keeping with the thing, even though it's written in such a way that feels very far off, you know, like, like titling the book, Harry Potter and the portrait of what looked like a large pile of ash is in hindsight, not that different than Harry Potter and the chamber of secrets. Like that's not very, that doesn't explain anything either. It's a chamber. That's it. I don't know. One version of the voice that we've been playing with lately is the fun that happens when you can recognize some kind of loose quality from what you've read in the past, but somehow it doesn't make sense. Somehow it's off. And we're finding that there's like a lot of comedy and entertainment in, the, in like that disconnect that you're like, ah, oh, this really sounds like Harry Potter, but something's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's someone who knows how to talk in a certain style, but forgets what they're talking about every three words. So you just have these winding long titles that might end up in a different place from where they begin. Uh, but every step of the way feel like, yeah, that's sort of like Harry Potter. I guess the first question is what led you to begin Botanic, but I'm particularly curious also how you got into predictive text because that is, it's such a new technology as far as I know. I, I know it a little bit from having a cell phone and I'm pretty sure cell phones are new. <laughs> sure. Oh, yeah. is super new. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're new and they're weird and because they're weird, we want to make fun of them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. But I don't, it doesn't come from a place of wanting to make fun of anything. I think yes. the the start of this predictive text thing was really getting a text message from a friend who had mistakenly sent this message. She was playing a game with her friend where they would just take the options suggested by the predictive oh. text bar on the phone. And by only taking those options, they would find these absurd winding sentences that you can draw out of the most common text and email it, yeah, options. Yeah, this kind of predictive text poetry thing that, you know, we've seen oh. people play with. Contrary to Jamie, I did get into it to make fun of things because of a lot of this, <laughs> you know, predictive text. It is just statistics, right? And a lot of it is just mathematical modeling and there's simple models and complex models. And I work in neuroscience and for years I've been hearing everyone discussing neural networks and trying to learn about the brain through neural networks and seeing what we could model. And I thought, yeah, 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 that's nice. And then one day I realized you could just make up garbage with them and it was really fun. And I immediately just wanted to do it for romance novels and that started my involvement in it. And so for me, it pretty much was just how can I goof off with this powerful technology? Whereas the uh, predictive text you might get on your phone, you know, that's kind of trained on the way you've spoken in the past, what your voice is. You know, if you say all the time, I'm going to go to the store and you type in, I'm going to go to the, it's going to recommend store to you. So in a way, it's kind of learning from the frequency that, that you uh, use these different words. But I think what we're kind of playing with is how little that really has to do with who you are or how you speak and what <laughs> makes you you, which I think is kind of proven out by if you just look at the order of the words in Harry Potter, you get some percentage of the soul of the thing, but not the part that counts. And so what we think is kind of fun is that we're playing with this model that kind of helps us ape a little bit of that voice, but it's not just spitting this stuff out on its own and then we're applauding the computer for how funny it is. You know, it's this process where it's a human with 
some artistic sensibility, like writing with the computer as a partner to produce this thing that has this kind of weird new quality. Mm. But neither one of them is writing in total isolation, which I think is very true of sort of more organic traditional writing, whether you realize it or not. You know, nobody is ever producing anything in total isolation. Totally. It, yeah. You know, as a reflection of the culture they're in. Yeah, and I think it's a pretty radical place to be in, too, because, I mean, there's so many people out there that want to, you know, teach computers to have natural language. And that's not the goal. You know, our goal isn't to quickly capture what it's like to write as J.K. Rowling. We want to keep the person in the loop. It's how it's giving the person tools. Yeah, there seems to be almost a certain amount of arrogance in some of the visions of the future that I see out there <laughs> about, like, Okay, yeah, maybe we could teach a computer to generate a novel completely on its own. Why would you want to do that? I mean, it's kind of independently fascinating that maybe technology could do that. But we're really interested in human beings (laughs) continuing to have something to do and create and enjoy and, you know, both create and enjoy uh, reading what they produce with it. You know, that's been kind of the fun part for us. Yeah, because I noticed with that Potter text on the website, it is obviously generated with the help of the keyboard, but also it's credited to, I think, about 10 human writers uh, or something like that at the the bottom of it. As far as the origin of Botnik, was it always intended to be that human-driven thing, and then you're just playing with the the text technology as you go? Definitely always intended to be human-driven, but the mass crowd-driven thing is another layer that's come in the last year. When this project started, it was seeing phones can give us a combination of the average phone user and the average of how you use your phone. And that's a really specific application of predict the next word that you can take to any format. And I played around with that idea for about a year, taking it to lyrics and Yelp reviews and any (laughs) format under the sun you can plug into this. And you can do that as a solo project. But the last year has seen us jump up to kind of modeling it after comedy writer's rooms where you give a format to the keyboard and that allows you to suggest words that evoke that format and gives a kind of unity to a group that's all using that same constraint to pitch to to an X-Files parody or a Harry Potter parody. And there are some expectations about the Potter universe, (laughs) which is so rich and deep, that don't come out through the predictive text tool that probably come out more through like the editor of the piece who Nat Towson edited this piece, taking the lines from all of these different writers who pitched individual Potter ish lines. But then there's a separate sense. That's how do you arrange these into a chapter that, that feels like it follows the arc that you would expect. And how do you put these characters next to each other in ways that maybe mirror the, the chaos that comes out of the predictive text on like one level up. Totally, yeah. And it's hard to tell exactly where the structure that comes from the machine ends and the structure that comes from our minds begins. Uh, That's part of the fun. I think that there is a hard-coded memory, as Jamie and Mike both alluded to, that, you know, with this technology, it actually only does have a memory of a few words to maybe a sentence length. And so what comes out on its own tends to be pretty erratic, and it'll change topic rapidly. It doesn't have a long enough attention span to tell a whole novel or even really to string together a description of a character that's, you know, more than a few words long. And so it sort of forces the humans to decide how to do the arranging. And I think that's where the real human artistry. 
industry comes in is that all of these lines were submitted in a crazy order, you know, and somebody had to make sense of it in a way that read reasonably well. Yeah, that's really neat. Let's let's talk about that toolkit on that approach too, because I uh, you mentioned earlier, Jamie, that that's fascinating that this interest in predictive text partly came out of people playing the game you can do with a smartphone where you just turn predictive text on, hit the first word, and then send each other whatever comes out. And like I hadn't done that in a bit, so I tried it with a friend recently. <laughs> and the message that came out was, hey, thanks for the dinner tonight, and I hope you're having a great day, and I hope you have 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 a great day. Uh, you, sound like a, you sound like a really nice guy. I'm very positive. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm the best. Uh, if I just use the very, 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 very basic version of it where I keep hitting the first word. It's nothing. It's just yep. recursive stuff. And I'm I'm really fascinated how you guys, especially Jamie, you mentioned that now it's more of a team and more of a crowdsourced kind of thing. Like what goes into the steps of going from we like to do Harry Potter to your collaborator, Nat, editing a bunch of lines from people? Well, it's pretty quick at this point. I mean, we have an app that mirrors the, the word suggestion method of a predictive text phone app. And it has yeah. a, a couple extra ingredients thrown in that do stuff around like recognizing parts of speech and a couple oh, extra really? layers are on there. It boils down to you choose a source, you collect a text file that is representative of that source. And for Harry Potter, it's really simple. You just use the books and we yeah. broke it down into dialogue and narration. How do you gather all the text of the books? I'm, I'm imagining like feeding seven physical books into a wood chipper kind of thing. Uh, it just goes in. <laughs> uh, well, you use an electronic text file. Uh, gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. I mean, some of the some of the picking of what projects we're going to do can sometimes depends on like whether or not there's a source out there that we can sure. that we can even track down. You know, a lot of videos that have captions. Um, just like if you if we find a treasure trove of text somewhere, it's like, ooh, uh, what can we turn this into? Oh. You know? Yeah, because I've seen on the site there's a lot of television shows, and that must be a rich source. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, those are good. And we do have a master scraper, too, somebody whose job is that he goes around and he, like, Whoa. builds software to take massive amounts of data off the Internet. That's our friend Kai, and he's the master scraper. Master scraper, head of scraping, d director yeah. of scraping operations. Lots of weird job titles. I just imagined <laughs> a guy in a huge cloak that says, like, master scraper. You're going to get scraped. And he's kind of got an ice scraper, maybe, like a big staff that looks like an ice scraper. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Whole throne room, yeah. Possibly great. with magical properties. I mean, we don't want to ask Kai too much. We fear his power. So he scrapes the text for you, and then, and then from there yeah. you start to build a keyboard? Kai is great at scraping, but I think one of the... <laughs> one of the things that great sentence <laughs> one of the key things is that anyone can can be great at scraping, scraping. <laughs> that's the that's message our... <laughs> we want to send to the world is that you too yeah. can be good at this activity you just heard of scraping text from the internet yeah. um, but more so maybe the interesting part that comes after it you know uh, that's mm -hmm. part of like why we're not keeping this stuff a secret. Like right after we posted the Harry Potter piece, we posted the keyboards we used to make it. You know, we have yeah. like a Facebook group for the, the Botnik Gallery where people are uh, using those keyboards to write too. So it's kind of like we have our own editorial operation, but to us, like this is about getting everyone to try writing this way and having fun with it too. 
And in fact, I think most people have done it. I think most people do the phone game. I mean, I took some impromptu surveys of like 120 high school kids Mm -hmm. about this, and they all had done it. I mean, every single kid was like, oh, yeah, I do that all the time. Our show is often listened to through smartphones. You at home might be able to like start playing this at some point. Not now. Listen. It's going great. Yeah, please. Come on. Hey, stop. Ear is up here. What's all the distractions (laughs) these days? It's the modern world. The Potter piece was just one editorial strategy we were playing with. I think with that one, you know, we had keyboards for the individual characters and for the narration, and we had people just pitch all sorts of lines that they thought were funny or interesting or in voice for all, just for whatever reason, right? And we have this, you know, giant stack of lines. And then in this particular case, then we kind of try to start arranging those into some, like, really basic story beats and then have people re-pitch at those. And so there's this almost like going from the keyboard to a big jumble to, oh, what structure does that suggest? Um, I think one thing that's super cool about that is sometimes, you know, when you're experiencing writer's block or something, if you just kind of think of like two random words or pull them out of a hat, like penguin and bowling, and then you just go, okay, if I combine those two together, what image does it suggest to me? And does that image interest me? It can be kind of a fun way to like try to spark yourself. There's something about the kind of like induced randomness of this thing that lets like these ideas emerge that then you can go, oh, I really like that one for that reason, and then travel down that path a little bit more. It's it's fun to create that way. So I'm imagining like with this one, it would be you find the line of Harry thinking of Ron as a lot like large, soft, slow bird. And then from there, it's <laughs> yeah. like, oh, this is another recognizable Potter story where Harry is mad at Ron for being Ron. But also Absolutely. it's this insane thing. We, I mean, we love, I, like, I, my favorite part about the Harry Potter, the two parts I like the most about that, the dynamic of Harry being jealous of Ron and then the Death Eaters part. And for me, it's because those are the two parts with really strong relationships. So yeah, once we yeah. got a really fun line about, you know, Ron's the handsome one, we made it the chapter title which was, you know, and then, then you <laughs> know, right, like yeah. go pitch at more lines that have to do with, with handsome, cool. like not so handsome now. And now by placing them at different parts in the narrative, you can construct this kind of interesting arc about how the characters relate to each other. Is it, is it crazy to ask like how many lines were generated in the process of getting this one chapter? It's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I would ballpark it. A few it. million? A million lines. A million? No, I, no, no, sorry. Way too <laughs> high. no. I'm very gullible. Uh, I believed you. Sorry. Completely. Yeah, that wasn't yeah. high enough, Mike. Probably like 100 or 200. That's a guess. That's Yeah, definitely yeah. well over 100. Yeah. We have, I mean, we have a pretty active community of people that are, you know, we're in our Slack channel pitching lines for many hours. So I'd, I'd easily put it over yeah. 200. Uh, wow, one, yeah. One thing I think is kind of fun about this, too, has been noticing that, you know, any writer has a story about, you know, do, do you like, you know, sit down and do it for hours? Do you take lots of breaks? Do you just pontificate and drink till the, you know, yeah. the mood strikes? I've so, seen those charts of novelist stays. It's like a, it's like a circle and they're like, this blue part is when he's writing. And yeah. It's great. And yeah. it's a really small circle or a really big one. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, like Jamie, for example, I've noticed often does this thing with the tool where he just like free writes as fast as he can and will go on for pages and then go back and like pick out his favorites. My roommate and collaborator on this, uh, Stephen Barlow, I watch him do it, you know, almost like it's this really complex puzzle that he's trying to solve. And he'll sit there with a single word until he pieces his thing together. And then I'll just see him start laughing and then finish the (laughs) sentence. So like everybody develops their own style of using this thing. And I think that's really 
Super interesting. And Mike just That's logs neat. on and then drinks for four hours and then logs off. And I fall asleep. He doesn't, and doesn't write a single word. Yeah, I have oh, no yeah, song. Yeah. <laughs> it's just good wallpaper. I would really. say I'm somewhere in between. Yeah, plus the binge drinking. Yeah, it is. A, it's very cool that also, from what I've read about it on your site, there are a couple of core principles, and one of them is that the design is transparent. And you guys say that your role model for the tool is the piano which is amazing to me that it's a it's an instrument that can be used like you say however the player works whether they are uh, yeah. drinking incredibly heavily as we joked or or going word by word or flowing you know that's amazing yeah it's pretty easy to get a good sound out of the piano if you're just approaching it for the first time you know that you can press a button and it makes a note and yeah. it's not something that needs to be taught by a master pianist and it's also something that y- you can get to be a master at and that when you're right. playing it masterfully, it looks masterful, and you can see the way, as, as someone watching a piano player, sure. you can see how this person's mastery of hand motion seems to correspond to a beautiful sound that comes out. And that's what we mean by transparency. It's also worth pointing out, you know, Elzar, kind of chief scientist, and has a whole lot of uh, techniques in her toolkit for things that could help you sort of algorithmically create language. It's very intentional that we've been experimenting with this almost more simplistic probability-based one, and it has to do with that piano point, which is that, like, yeah, there are maybe more technically interesting or complicated ways that you could produce language. The thing we think is really great about this one is that it asks the human to intervene all the time. Like, at every word choice, you're being asked to make... uh, So it's like a question of granularity. It's like you're, you're being asked to make a decision every time you pick a word, you're saying, hey, take all your prior experiences, all your prior intuition and exposure to art and use it to say, like, which of these is a fun direction to you? And then you can still go back and edit it organically. Some people, like Jamie's really strict about how he uses it. I'm often strict, but will occasionally put in like a single word if I need it. And that's something you can play with and how you use it and how you use it with the people you write with too. But to me, it's really important that it be this incredibly directable technology. So there's a good balance of like, you get to steer it. And we think a lot about how much control to put at the hands of the person, right? I mean, because there's the piano and then there's the synthesizer where you have Mm -hmm. control over Mm -hmm. the waveform that is coming out and every parameter of the sound is in your control. And so when I first met Davey and he showed me his kind of his on his own computer, his prototype, it was like, so many dials and he had complete <laughs> control over every aspect of the speech that was coming out. He could make it more creative or less creative. He could mix in, like titrate the dose of many voices that were coming in at once. And it was astounding, the things that he was doing. And so we've had to make a lot of choices about, well, do we want to have a lot of control and maybe it'll steer more towards the super users at the expense of losing some of our more casual users? Or do we want to keep it very simple? And so we've had a a lot of discussions about that. It's Mm -hmm. a very intentional and evolving process. On that note of like, is this a dazzling thing to behold or is this something that you feel you could pick up and and get good (laughs) at yourself? It's really important to me that this not feel like a holy black box that we are amazed by what comes out of this computer and think there must be magic happening in there. It's important that you should be able to see how the magic happens. The magic is in you. <laughs> we're very we're affirmative. All, yeah, it's. I, f- I feel like Hagrid just told me we're all wizards. This is great. Very exciting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like Hagrid may have died 
in that chapter. My reading of it is that the shrieks oh, dude, of his... no, he didn't. He's okay. <laughs> well, he was replaced at the end by No, I think, to me, well, that suggested that Hagrid is almost like an honorarium. Like, mm-hmm. he just said, like, Hagrid, the man in the body, is still around. He just no longer has the title Her- Hagrid. He's going back to being called Gary. I like that. <laughs> I like that. Pig <laughs> has taken the mantle but of Hagrid. he was Hagrid. never born Ger- Hagrid anyway. Hell okay. no. No, that's impossible. Right. It's, it's like, like being, being born, born president. president. Yeah. Support for today's show comes from our friends at Squarespace. Are you ready to start a business? Are you ready to show off your blogging? Are you just a cool person who needs a website? You're probably at least one of those things, if you listen to this show. Cracked readers are neat. So use Squarespace to make it easy and make your website cool. It has beautiful templates that are created by world-class designers that make it easy to put everything you want in its own great package Also, the website will be optimized for mobile right out of the box. A lot of people using their phones to use the internet. Your phone might be how you're hearing this show. Make it so that your website looks good on that device. They'll make it easy. You can customize everything. You can use Squarespace's analytics to help you grow the site. See who's coming to it. That'll be fun. And there's nothing to install, patch, or upgrade ever. Though, if you do have a question, Squarespace's award-winning 24-7 customer support is there to help. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code CRACKED to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com, offer code CRACKED. Support for today's show comes from ZipRecruiter. Are you in need of great talent for your business, but short on time? Well, who doesn't need talent? Who isn't short on time? I think that describes everyone. You don't have to get lost in a huge stack of resumes to find your perfect hire. You just need the right tools. Smarter tools. Tools almost as smart as you are. ZipRecruiter posts your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards with just one click. Then ZipRecruiter actively looks for the most qualified candidates and invites them to apply. They go get people. They even review every application to identify top candidates so you never miss a great match. And that's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other hiring sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on the right candidates finding you. It finds them. So no wonder 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. It's what makes ZipRecruiter the smartest way to hire. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes and industries to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, my listeners can post on ZipRecruiter.com for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash cracked. That is ZipRecruiter.com slash cracked. One more time, to try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash cracked. We talked a bit about the tool being something people can access. As far as uh, the tools and also the community that's around this, from what I can tell, there is the keyboards themselves on the site. There's also a Facebook community using them. There's that community communicating with each other on Slack. If not everybody at home knows Slack is a, it's kind of everything. It's sort of a communication tool, productivity tool thing for teams and groups. On the it grew out of like a work chat app. And now, yeah. it, now it really goes after it's sort of weird bells and whistles, which are great. I love weird bells and oh, whistles yeah. in chat apps. I'm pro. with. I like the whistles <laughs> slightly better. Yeah, but, but they're a package deal. Like, <laughs> that's really saying. And then and I think there's another tool called Wodehouse, which is some kind of voting platform as well. Yeah, that's Woodhouse. So that's named after P.G. Woodhouse, the, the comedy author. But he had the author behind Jeeves and Wooster and uh, a lot of other famous uh, British characters mainly. That's right. And then importantly, there's this story that I think only me and my dad have heard about P.G. Woodhouse. I'm starting <laughs> to think that it's not only apocryphal, but maybe hallucinated. Okay. That 
uh, P.G. Woodhouse would rank the sentences in his chapters by taping them to a wall, and then he would he would tape them into the in the order by height that he liked them, and then he would no. uh, edit the sentences until they were all at the very top of the wall. What? So this is the this is the story about P.G. Woodhouse, and it's the origin of the name of our crowd ranking system, where we pitch sentences to this digital wall of sentences and we we vote on them and that's how we as editors go through and find quickly the the best ones or the best ones as determined by the crowd that's the most fascinating story i've ever heard about an author <laughs> why, oh, why that's is why he it's doing made that up, he's yeah. a maniac <laughs> that's crazy yeah well it also brings up the question of like is there another story about what his process was after that because i think if you just did that you could make the mistake of working at too small of a scale and like having a lot of really beautiful aesthetically pleasing individual sentences that don't mm -hmm. recombine into anything that keeps you interested. Right, you know, right. So that's why we feel like you got to think about this stuff at multiple scales at the same time, which is something that, like, obviously any artist is, is doing to create, you know, harmony and dynamic range and contrast in their work. But while, like, you kind of learn the intuition for striking that balance at many scales at the same time by doing a lot of practice, yeah, I think many of us have that from having, you know, written comedy, you know, in other forms. But now we're, you know, trying to make sure that some of the, like, the tools and processes that we're suggesting to, you know, kind of casual users that are coming in to suggest those things for you so that the work you do has some of those qualities naturally. It's like this guided design kind of thing. That's really cool. We've mentioned it a bit, but Jamie, you have a comedy writing background and you uh, were the, I believe, the head writer at ClickHole at one point? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, amazing. What is it like creating a essentially digital writer's room with this crowdsourced group of people? You can't help but use your memory to guide yeah. your future actions. <laughs> as, <laughs> as oh, God, human. we're all computers. Oh, no. <laughs> no, it's, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. There's absolutely click hole and onion DNA in the way that we've approached this. There's, there are other click hole writers involved, and there are other comedy writers from all, of all different stripes. And I think... Inevitably, we're going to use the writer's room as a model. And The Onion has a very specific process of, of like, they consciously pitch hundreds of ideas to choose the ones that, as an editorial group, they feel are the most fruitful or the ones that have the most potential for uh, for writing out into full articles. So there's this, like, big funnel. Yeah. Yeah, and talk about talk about the scale of that for people who don't know. Like, how many headlines mm -hmm. end up being one uh, paper, so to speak? I think, I mean, it, it doesn't break down as cleanly into issues now that there's no physical paper, but it's still like week cycles, week long cycles of. Sure. Um, I would say, seven hundred headlines a week are usually pitched at the Onion, and yeah. of those seven hundred, maybe twenty to fifty make it as full articles or small articles or like little items on the site that's a huge culling from the list of 700 which has already been curated by the writers who are saying this is the best stuff i got this week yeah. there's right so if you if you were to try to measure like all the ideas that occurred to writers then that's that's even more and they funnel that down into what they think is worth considering oh right and yeah, yeah. then the editorial staff <laughs> funnels that down into what's worth discussing and that's like are, are you going to pitch this from the list yeah. If you decide to pitch it from the list, then does it connect with other people? And does it trip anyone's wires about, like, this has been done before? I think the Onion system yeah. really lends itself to making sure everything is original. 
and that's something that maybe even more than other comedy places is baked into the structure of the onion is avoiding yeah. anything that rings a bell with any of the the writers gather around its table if if our concern was avoiding repeating uh. stuff that's been done before <laughs> it would be a strange way to, to do it to just like feed in source material and say right. we're working directly from that but there's still a truth to it like we're not going to want to put in Seinfeld cool. and then write a joke that's funny because it was a joke in Seinfeld you always want that <laughs> right. the thing yeah. that comes out to be funny on its own terms and on the terms that that the writer brings to it. I think about it with like some of the kind of foolish copyright arguments that go on with sampled music sometimes, right? It's a, that it's about the the granularity and the question of like if you've reconstituted a, a new thing, you know. Um, I think oh like, yeah, that goes on all the time. If you think about the difference between the granularity of a mashup that puts a full acapella over a full instrumental versus like what Girl Talk does that's like a lot more active or like what Justice does sometimes, which is like like three or four sample long pieces that, you know, you're using as like a wavetable synth or something that like there's, if you're working at the word level to reconstitute something, you'd have to almost make an argument that uh, it's stealing to use words from the dictionary or from your own language. Yeah, yeah that's right. what helps me sleep yeah. at night about what we're doing is I feel like, okay, no copyright lawyer is going to come after me because we only use words. <laughs> oh, it's the binge drinking for me. <laughs> I feel very strongly, uh, you know, that these are new pieces of art. We're, we're really all doing this exact same thing every time we engage with language out loud or in writing. You know, you're reconstituting structures you've heard other people say and letting them evolve and piecing them together and deciding how they make you feel. Sure. Um, and th this is just like an overlay of the connections that we're seeing in, d in different pieces of, of work. Yeah. You're all coming at it from different fields too that all cross over and apply, which is neat. Al, I was reading some of your other pieces and like you mentioned, romance novels was one way in. You also, I think did something recently with Red Lobster's Twitter account <laughs> where you, I did. Did, I you can, you can, you can explain so, it uh, better so than funny. me, I'm sure. But what, what did you yeah, do with Red yeah. Lobster? So, so this was a neural network. Um, and so it's something that's, you know, a bit more runs on its own and then a human just reads through its outputs later. And so I fed it the tweets that I'd taken from the Red Lobster corporate Twitter account. And I just saw what would it give me? And it mostly just apologizes <laughs> and says hashtag endless shrimp cheesy biscuits. <laughs> I just couldn't believe that like the one structure that it really stuck to was how to apologize to a that's dissatisfied amazing. customer. Also notice that the, you know, the computer doesn't know that that's funny. You know, it's, right. it's been, yeah. it's like, I noticed this and that it takes, you know, it's a tree falls in the forest situation. It takes you to see that and then, and then be like, oh, that's pretty damn funny that all that thing does is apologize for their crustacean-esque failings. The yeah. computer yeah. knows it's a consistent <laughs> pattern. And what I find funny is... That's a consistent pattern. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> no, when it, when I mean, what it, does this say? I've never even been to a Red Lobster. I don't even know. Oh, you got to have the biscuits. You know, anyway, go on. It's so fascinating. Like that, when Jamie mentioned the Yelp reviews earlier, like oh. feeding in a bunch of negative, like yeah. negative Yelp reviews of like every sushi restaurant in San Francisco, for example. It's so interesting to then look at the keyboard and be like, oh, yeah. Those amateur reviewers, they're so mad. Why are they so mad? And, and, and also in this very particular parlance, you know, there are all these like hyper local voices that develop. I've always thought it was really funny, even with, uh, I mean, we're doing it in writing, but you notice even in like, like cadence, I've always th thought it was funny um, that, 
you can tell that somebody's on a local news broadcast without even hearing the words they're saying because they do the like, and the people both in cadence and in language pick that stuff up from each other and use it to signal that they're part of a group or that they're you know they're doing this Yelp review thing and. Like one of the first steps in comedy writing is to go do, I mean, especially if it's parodies, to like go do your research on what that vocabulary and style is and yeah. then get enough of a sense for it that you could duplicate it and then work in that, you know, in that, space. that, that space. Yeah, and it can be uncanny. Yeah. Yeah, I think uncanny is yeah. an emotion that this really kind of plays with mm -hmm. is that feeling of like, damn, that's close, but not quite, like the Polar Express. <laughs> right. It's like it didn't have to try. The way that I would to learn how to put on someone's voice, it's like it, it just kind of got it by virtue of having the right words and mostly the right order. Yeah. One of my favorite subcategories of Yelp reviews is Yelp reviews of tourist attractions. Ugh. And one of the things that comes out in, <laughs> yeah. in every Yelp review of tourist attractions, like of the Statue of Liberty or the Golden Gate Bridge or the Space mm. Needle, everyone, you can reliably count on it. When you put in the name of the attraction, like if you say the statue or the Space Needle, it's always going to be followed by the word itself, as if every review has a section where they're like ranting about the customer service, and then right. they make the turn and say like, the yeah. statue itself is, is smaller is than fine. I thought it was. Yeah. All right. yeah. It's a lot bigger <laughs> than I thought it was. It's very small. You'd think, you'd think Liberty, you know, you'd think it'd be big, but she, I don't know. She's mm. The Golden Gate Bridge itself, yeah, yeah it got me across the it water. Could, it could be redder, you know. And that's something I would never have picked up on as a it comedy got writer. Me across the water. <laughs> I wouldn't have thought to use, like, well, the thing itself was actually fine. Or, the th like, that turn of phrase, even though it happens in every one, um, is something that it took this blind analysis and, of language to and, pull out. Yeah. And so it's really cool that you can like, you can write with the tool a little, you can see it, recognize that thing, and then you can consciously be like, oh my God, that is a trope, that's funny. And then you can go, okay, what, you know, what might I now say after itself that plays with, the, you know, the way these reviews usually go and surprises people. That is, that's really cool that the, the computer, I almost feel like it's just maniacally seeking out the truth yeah. of whatever this it's not. group it's is or thing is. Like, oh, it's it's not like emotionally yeah. maniacal. Exactly. It's just like, it's yeah, like the it's board. Totally neutral, it's like, yeah. yeah. It's I mean, a pro at finding patterns. Yeah. And, yeah. and malfunctioning robots are hysterical. They've always been hysterical. And they're hysterical because it's like, <laughs> it's funny to see, see something fall flat on its face uh, trying to be a person. God. I love when like, <laughs> when like automated subway system announcements or just L. LED screens will just like show up null, 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 yeah. null, or null. You have or one new messages. <laughs> like everyone, anyone who's like grown up in the internet era is used to the voice of a computer just when you're just like, ah, oh, dude, no, no, that, no, that's not it. You know, same with like if you try to write as yourself with predictive text on your phone. It's not yeah. you. It's not even close. When I try use predictive text on my phone, it's almost trying to imitate me, but also asking for help as it does it. It's just like as it's looping, <laughs> like, have a great day, have a great day, have a great day. I don't know hey, what's what going on. Yeah, like, yeah, could you step in? What about <laughs> dinner? Aren't you into dinners? You said you were into dinners. <laughs> it's in love with you, and it wants to finish your sentence so that you can, like, have that moment right. and then kiss. But it's always just missing it, or it's just going <laughs> too mainstream. I don't have a sensor to know if he's leaning in. 
Yeah, well, there really is design. You know, humans do the design of deciding what it is that we're going to try to capture the voice of. And it's, it really is an art to get the source material that that machine is going to take to learn, you know, whatever it is that we hope it will learn. And then somebody gets it out on the other end. And honestly, mathematical modeling in the hard sciences is really no different. I mean, you have to set the assumptions from the beginning. You have to know what kind of data goes in. It has to be quality data. And then you have to yeah. check it rigorously on the other side. I mean, none of this is really effective without person at the beginning and at the end. Right. And I love cool. that that checking, the correctness here is, does this emotionally move someone in some way? It's not like, oh, yes, that's correct. That's that's how language works. Because it's not, nothing is that discreet. It, you know, it it and is not, an emotional evaluation. And it's not how similar is this to a good piece of comedy. We're no. not training something to better and better reproduce what we know is good comedy or what we know is good writing. No. Um, it's, you always have to trust a person to, we, to make that. Call. We have really always talked yeah. about it as being like a new type of instrument. And like, I think the first time Jamie and I ever wrote together on this, like he showed me this thing where the, it was trained on um, two voices. It was Drake lyrics and a manual on how to be a beekeeper. <laughs> and you could, you could turn these two sliders up and down and it would either be like this really emo hip hop or like you need to stay away from these fucking bees <laughs> or they're going to sting you to death. Hey, there are bees uh, up in the six. Uh, yeah. You need to. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> what I thought was really cool about that was like you could write six words and then go to the interface and turn up the bees you know, for example, and then like go in this weird direction. So because it isn't spitting it out in big chunks, you're guiding it the whole time and you can really have fun with it. We should put that one up. I want to check that out. Yeah. In the intro segment to, to a, a rap song where you often have like turn the bass up or turn the bass down yeah. to ha hear someone saying, can I get some more bees, get some more in, bees in my headphones? <laughs> <laughs> I think another one of Jamie and I's first conversations ever where we were trying to like suss each other out and be like, what do you think is funny? What do you think is funny? What do you think is yeah. important? Was like this long discussion about why bees are so funny. Bees, for some reason, turn up again oh, I, and again in comedy. I have a very strong opinion on this. I, I don't have a strong opinion on this. I think it's a mystery. I remember you also showing me one that was Batman and the Bible, and it switched <laughs> off between the two. Yes. And it was just glorious getting like these sort of biblical passages that all of a sudden switched into the petty rivalry between the Joker and Batman. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was just great. Sublime. <laughs> yeah. Begot Robin. And now I think as Botnik, we're just turning the corner into doing more ambitious combinations of sources and different styles of generation that go beyond this simple predictive text. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's just to say, like, the Harry Potter thing, we really liked it, but it's already even starting to feel a little bit like that's that's like the big hit. You know, uh, we're, we're yeah. really having a lot of fun playing with, we trained it on, like, a thousand Metacritic reviews of The Last Jedi and wrote, <laughs> like, these really, like, casual reviews of that. Uh, we did that kind of braggy Christmas letter one. Uh, you know, we play with scripts and... Yeah, you've uh, done Seinfeld, Arrested Development. Uh, there's just lots of... Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think we have a definite interest in the ones that have that strong expectation of character. But, like, there's new things you find that are entertaining that come up depending on the context. Well, and, like, we're working on a Coachella lineup right now. Oh, man. That I think is... Pretty sweet. <laughs> I'm really enjoying it. It's a lot of damn bands. <laughs> I, feel like I haven't heard of any of them. No. It's like, like Jack uh, Like a Man and, and Fanch, one of Pig, and Jacked Like a Man, I believe, are the headliners. 
Oh yeah, they'll they'll play us out when we're done. Oh cool! I can't <laughs> wait. I hate Fanch's new stuff though. Yeah, I'm I'm OG Fanch all the way. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I'm hoping we have some real albums though. Like I'm hoping that we can get like a little bit of a Botnik record label and we could make these happen. I wouldn't put it past us. I love how it feels like it really springs from excitement about what's just possible. Like there's Absolutely. this technology now you can go do that. Um, how much is it also a reaction? Because I feel like a lot of the world as more and more things get automated and of course across history things have been automated like how much are you seeing also i feel like people in the world are just like oh my god everything's turning into robots this is terrifying is this maybe a a way it's fun i feel very much that a lot of the visions of the future i hear right now are all really kind of doomsday like here come the robots here comes ai it's you know it's all going to take they're going to take us over there's going to be no role for humans the biggest show in the world is black mirror right it's yeah which i think is important you know for us to think about the direction we might go in right but uh, that i also don't necessarily see an alternative where we like you know, go backwards just because that's kind of never happened either. I think Botnik's and the stuff we're generating is a hell of a lot of fun. But I also feel like it's one potential entry into like, here's a constructive model of a thing where we're using technology and people still have a role, like a really important role in it, like where they're uh, peers with the thing and they're not like subjugated by it. I right. know they're they're working with it and saying what's artistically interesting to people with this rather than some of like I think the more arrogant versions of what tech can do in the future where it's like look it can choreograph our whole lives for us so we can sit around and be lotus eaters like personally like I really like to make stuff and I want people to be able to take pride in creating and making and liking what they do and and experiencing emotion in the world and not and and connecting with each other in like community ways that's why we yeah. do live shows with this and you do live shows? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. What, what is it? Oh, what yeah. happens? Well, uh, you sit down in a chair and you have a great time just looking <laughs> almost okay. directly forward. Not looking at your sure. damn phone. Sure. Okay. And just like go, yeah. And uh, mostly, mostly it's been stuff that we're either considering putting online or that we have put online already but, but have a new vision for how it could live on the stage. So the Harry Potter thing we read first at the live show. And oh, uh, there's some stuff that's only appeared so far live. So if you're a botnik completist, you have to go <laughs> to the live show. <laughs> uh, I d- just wanted to say one more thing to clarify Please. that I get a little bit frustrated with some visions of a, a tech future where, like, we don't think that this is the only way people are going to write in the future by, <laughs> by any means. Of course, right? yeah. This <laughs> is one interesting artistic way to write. I would be horrified if there was no such thing as people sitting down and writing in all the ways they've written in the past. And I think there's a lot of anxiety that comes whenever a new technology comes around that somehow using it has removed the soul from the old way just because it's made one part easy or different. We've all, you know, written, you know, quote, quote, the old way and like doing this too (laughs) on the side. And it's just, it's just, it's one other thing to try and see what artistic possibilities it has. It's not like, oh, you know, this is this is how writing is going to be forever. Yeah, it's it's just an entry. There is a really big sort of cultural reckoning that's happening right now as you know these movements about automation and AI get larger and they affect more people. And automation for a lot of people and a lot of jobs has historically meant you know bad things economically. And and AI has you know can have incredibly negative effects on people if it's not well mediated. If we yeah. don't think critically about the ways that it affects their lives. And I see this as not signs that we have to stop developing things in that vein or stop investigating it, but signs that we have to take 
a strong sense of responsibility and thoughtfulness for what we're doing and have a lot of intention. And I see Botnik as kind of a playground for what we can do, as Mike said, when people are in a creative role with technology. And also I see it as just something that we can do that brings joy to the world. And that's something that um, one of our mentors, John Powley, who's a really brilliant and kind guy, said that he saw the light in Botnik as bringing joy to people. Yeah, it's it's a people-oriented. That was that was great. I'm crying. <laughs> really, you know, I, I I think that there are models of that where tech is a can be an expansion or an exploration of what makes us people instead of a thing that you know makes us go even more into ourselves or separates us from yeah. each other. Or at least, since I don't think it's going anywhere, we need to experiment with ways that it can do that instead of just letting it run like roughshod over us. I think there's also a part of what anyone who plays with predictive text and us by playing with it in this specific way does, which is showing how absurd the current tech is and showing how absurd (laughs) it is that, yes, I was going to type all of those and I have a great time and I come with you and I go on the phone. Like, um, yes, that, that suggestion, you did predict my words by extending that to absurdity, calling out that, that's not uh, the whole picture of that, you. It can't be the whole picture of me. And I think that it, it's almost similar to how when factory machines came along, you had Buster Keaton comedies that were just Buster Keaton running through factories and getting <laughs> right. picked up by machines yep. and whirled around. And like somehow it all worked out in the end. So you you got to see this scary new thing and you got to see how it is mindless and yeah. it, it is dangerous in this scene. By having fun with it and it's taking so, it to absurdity, you you see that it's not you. Yeah, I certainly feel like a great deal of angst when I'm on the phone and then they have that interaction with me, you know, through a bank or something, where they try to walk me through all the niceties, and it's just one of the most <laughs> aggravating things that I'm not only stuck waiting, but I have to deal with this overly polite machine impersonating what they think I want to hear, yeah. and I would just feel so much better if it was a little bit colder and more of an automaton, just acknowledging you've got to wait in line instead of this whole you are the most valued customer thing. Yeah, and we can make that choice. I really bristle when like brands, Twitter accounts try to kind of ape the voice that people have developed online because you're not a person. We don't need to treat you that way. We can, you know, insist that that's a voice for people to have with each other. Yeah. Yeah, I saw a tweet recently where it was Wendy's and they were imitating a tweet President Trump had done like yep. making fun of the leader of North Korea in oh, a way that off. is like nuclear <laughs> saber, saber rattling. But yeah. Wendy's was making fun of McDonald's in the same vernacular. And I was like, I am seven steps away from humanity right now. This, I really yeah. don't enjoy this. That's this is awful. Incredibly gross. Uh, you know, <laughs> just like that's not what we want. Another one is when they have this like over familiarity where they're like, oh, tweet us your favorite moment using our bleach detergent. And it's like, yep. I, I don't have any tweet you my life moment about detergent. I could never pick just one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is. Right. Like, that I is don't true. even engage with my family online in that way. I'm not going to engage with uh, yep. this large corporate entity that has like a social media intern. Hey, dad, tweet me your favorite moment for my teens. <laughs> <laughs> I, we should do that. We should train it on those stupid prompts. We could, I, I mean, we could just do a search oh, for yes. tweet us your and then just yep. get all the tweets that do that. Yep. That'd be fun. I think that would be really good. <laughs> probably going to happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, even if like, I, I'm just always in the mind, obviously there's this like never ending debate in science fiction and philosophy and everything about like what would happen if, you know, something could really pass for one of us or emulate us properly. And it's hard to ever answer. Right. But I'm right. just kind of always at the mind, like, I don't want to say that 
this philosophy is just of this exact moment, that the only reason that this is this project we're engaged in is still highlighting humanity is because the tech isn't good enough to imitate us yet. I, I think there's something that insulates us from that even further, which is that even if something can imitate every element of you, so what? It doesn't mean your your um like subjective experience goes away or that you don't feel emotions. Like yeah. I really liked uh, I think it was Richard Feynman had this quote sometime about like it's a really impoverished poet that ceases to be inspired when he finds out that the sun is just a ball of helium gas or something. Like just oh, because you yeah. have a more technical yeah. understanding of yourself, yeah, you're great. still an emotional creature. You still experience emotion in interacting with other people and you still cry and sweat and you need to sleep. Like Jamie and I had this really great conversation one time about how people like once a computer could beat people at chess there was almost like the sense of demoralization over it to me right. chess is not the rules of chess chess is how impressed i am how in awe i am if a human being who has to sleep and eat and lust and balance things in their life manages with the neurological circuitry they were born with to get good at chess that's when i give a shit i don't really care if something, if a computer can, no, that's not to say yeah, there's not yeah. a question about if we care about consciousness, if computers can get it one day, that, that's another question. But that's not what's interesting about chess to me. It's that a human with the human limitations did it. And I think that's always going to matter to people. Sure. Or at least that's what I believe today. Just using social media, especially now, like now that I'm aware there are so many bots on there, <laughs> I need to be comfortable with that or quit. Yep, and I'm finding it's more fun to be comfortable with that. Like, it's just sort of fascinating in its own way, or looking just, at how they operate. Just in your head, you know, bucketed into this is a different thing. Right? This yeah. isn't day to day life. You know, it's, <laughs> it's something else that's incredibly mediated and bizarre. And like, we're obviously going to get better, like societally, at creating those buckets and teaching each other how to do that and stuff. But you know, it's just in the middle of it. Folks, that is the episode for this week. My thanks to the Botnik team for being human, uh, being performers, and making the future feel less scary. Isn't that nice? Oh, art's the best. Anyway, let's go on into our food notes, where you'll find all the Botnik comedy that we talked about today. That Harry Potter chapter, Red Lobster tweets, and so much more. There's also stats and stories that we referenced. And I checked out that story about P.G. Woodhouse that Jamie brought up. Jamie was very cautious about it. He said his dad might have invented it, which was just fun. And I googled around, and if it is fake, it's been faked by Douglas Adams. That's right, Douglas Adams, the author of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and many of the best books. Uh, we'll link to his version of that story. Adams put it in his book, The Salmon of Doubt. So it's out there, there, and it's probably true of P.G. Woodhouse. That's what he used his walls for. I also should say, I'm pretty sure I called Woodhouse a maniac in today's show. I think that came up. I mean maniac in the best and most admiring way. I just find that very fun. Anyhow, a few more things about this show, The Crack Podcast. Our next live show is Saturday, February 10th at 7 p.m. at UCB Sunset in L.A. There's more info on that February 10th show soon. And as far as this episode goes, our theme music is Chicago Falcon by the Budos Band. Our episode was engineered by Sam Kiefer and edited by Chris Souza. If you love this episode, that is great. If you hated it, let me know about it on social media. That's right, social media. The place where robots give me feedback on this show and sexually proposition me, and do other stuff that makes me glad. Real humans like you are most of the people on there. 
You can find me on Twitter under the name at Alex Schmitty. I'm also on the wider internet at my website, alexschmitty.com. And we will be back next week with more Cracked Podcasts. So how about that? Talk to you then. Stitcher Premium has all the best podcasts, and one of them is Jessamine Explains It All. It is an advice show. It is a lifestyle show. It is for the yoga lifestyle that you may or may not be living. It's for all kinds of listeners. And if you have any questions, give Jessamine a call. She has advice on everything from literal yoga to the yoga of navigating our modern world. Hit her up at 984-329-2185 or email the show at info at jessamineexplainsitall.com. Go to stitcherpremium.com slash jessamine and use promo code CRACKED for a one-month free trial of Stitcher Premium to hear that show, to hear our show ad-free, and so much more. This has been an Earwolf production. Executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Chris Bannon, and Colin Anderson. For more information and content, visit earwolf.com. Earwolf.